0: You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Just cheerleader, Kimberly. That would be my You actually title. were a cheerleader, which I found out because I was, of this podcast. I was. a cheerleader for about for, two years. years. Okay.
1: What happens when two boss women link up for sisterhood and perspective? The School for Disruptors, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Kimberly McLan and Dr. Sarah Goulish. This dope digital space is dedicated to vulnerable conversations about self-awareness, self-definition, and of course, all kinds of disruption. Listen as we
0: inspire each other, and we hope, you. This is episode seven of the School for Disruptors. If you're new here, welcome. A few weeks ago, we had the first of many episodes focused on highlighting disruptors we admire. Today, Kimberly and I sit down with another incredible disruptor, Drew Alexander Ford. Drew, who is also known as That Viola Kid on social media, is a performing artist, entrepreneur, social media content creator, and influencer. And he's just an all around incredible human being. Drew is really pushing the boundaries of what it means to be a classically trained musician in 2020 and how to build a career by breaking all the rules. <laughs> he's an inspiration to many, and we know you're going to love this interview. From the minute we started recording, the conversation was flowing. We drop right into talking about Drew's past and his upbringing in the South.
1: Where is she?
2: Uh, she's in Atlanta.
1: Is that where you're from?
2: Yeah, born and raised, born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Which part of the city? I mean, it's all. I don't know Atlanta that well. How's that work?
2: Good question. Uh, no, it, Atlanta's weird. It's a metropolitan suburban mega city type thing uh not quite to the los angeles standard but it's it's getting there um i was from Peachtree city the south side so i was in fayette county uh, we would drive into the city uh my dad used to work for norfolk southern and, and sun trust and you know my mom was a real estate agent uh and now real in real estate broker uh became a broker and so we just kind of like lived in the metro area and
1: Right, so were they, is that your longer family story tied to Georgia?
2: Mm. Yes, in some ways uh, from all over the South of Virginia, uh, Arlington, Virginia on my grandfather's side. Uh, then he, he really gained a foothold in the civil rights movement during the sixties. Uh, left DC, came to Atlanta, uh, ended up organizing with Martin Luther King Marching with him and, and and really becoming an important civil rights figure in Atlanta uh, as he became a college professor uh, before his death last year.
1: So you so sounds like you come from a longer legacy of disruption.
2: Disruption, yes. Uh, I'm quickly learning that you know my family was really involved in the, in the real estate game and and investing. Their money to uplift communities and things like that. So I'm, I'm like, whoa, why, why didn't y'all tell me about this before?
1: Nobody put me on. Why didn't y'all put me on?
2: <laughs> like, why'd you, why'd you let me study classical music? Like, you some you know, since...
1: Why did you choose that? Let's, let's. Well, yeah, why that's... did you choose that path?
2: Uh, for me, music just lets me. I think we're all in this mission. We're all in this life. We're trying to find something that makes us feel like our life uh, isn't wasted. Like it means something that it, that it uh, fundamentally makes those around us like slightly better, slightly more bearable in and in a increasingly undulating between light and dark world. But I find that like, The thing that I'm like most excited about with music is that it is a platform. And I was just thinking about this the other day. It's the platform for myself growth. It's just a person. Like um, getting better at the viola is really a a metaphor for me getting better at life, getting better at mastering myself, getting better at my self-discipline and and positive self-talk and all these other essential things that you need to actually get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> I, I'm able to work those things out through my viola.
1: Yeah, so. I, yeah, I, I, I do think it is so important that we figure out our pathways to anchoring ourselves and the larger journey of like shaping our own evolution. And and I think that that is the hardest thing for people to discover. So what a, what are like a, a gift of the universe and the ancestors that you I presume at about 12 if I'm right decided that you were going to start playing with and experimenting with that that lovely instrument
2: as your as your anchor in your path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i haven't looked back since i don't don't mind the fact that i'm sitting on a cajon don't don't pay attention to the guitar in the back viola viola gang all the way
0: i love it i you know so kim and i we decided to start this podcast we were having lots of conversations and decided let's just make these conversations public instead of having them just between the two of us. And we wrote down a list of people that we would consider disruptors in different spaces and places. And you were one of the first that popped into my head when I think of classical music or when I think of classical musician um, who's carving out alternative pathways and what we've seen. But when we were thinking about this interview, it brought up this question is, is that how you would even describe yourself? So if someone came up to you and said, you play music, what kind of a musician are you? How do you label yourself? What would you even say? Mm.
2: That That is such a great question. Um, I don't really know what to tell them sometimes. Uh, I'm not a jazz improviser yet. I'm not An improviser by any stretch of the imagination i'm trying to learn i'm not a producer yet like I I still don't know much about production beyond just laying down a bunch of strings and figuring out how to make that sound good right so there's there's so much. that i'm learning right now i'm, I'm taking a skill share class on jimi hendrix solos <laughs> so i'm just like i'm in a phase right now where i'm trying to absorb everything i did in conservatory um because music is much more than classical music and living in la and playing with other types of musicians jazz funk hip-hop lo-fi Uh, all these other musicians it really changed my idea of what it is to be a musician and there are people that are touring with bigger artists have much bigger bank roles and they can't even read sheet music you know (laughs) but you could play them a song and if you give them five minutes they'll be able to play the whole chords all the chords they'll know the chords they'll know the changes they they know how to improvise in between the chord changes they know how to they could bust out a solo anytime in their sleep. You know, they are just many different skills uh, that.
0: Are, so when you were, let's talk about this idea of classical musician labeling. And mm-hmm. I was saying this to Kimberly before we started, but I've been seeing you pop up more. I think I tagged you on social media once under, these are the black classical musicians you need to know now. (laughs) And then, you know, there's a whole list and I'm like, there's Drew. Um, But you're being labeled, right? As a classical musician. Mm -hmm. And, And so when you were in school, when you were at Juilliard, what was presented to you? What was the main narrative that this is what a classical musician is and does?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I never thought I would ever be labeled a classical musician. I was always just told that I wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, like, what competitions have you won? You know, like, uh, I, I just didn't see you at excerpt class, you know. So it's kind of like, yeah, I skipped excerpt class. So that is the prescribed uh, trajectory is go get into an orchestra, figure it out. Doesn't matter if there are a waning number of available spots, a waning number of solvent orchestras, a waning number of audience members don't worry about that just continue to practice don juan you know that just didn't make sense to me and i saw that classical music was ailing financially and in terms of interest and i knew it wasn't because of the the nature of the art form the nature of the art form is dope i like it uh, it's not for everyone, but I think the stories and the human intrigue and the artistry and then the execution by players like me, all of that working in tandem to tell stories was fascinating to me. Stories of people who've been dead for hundreds of years and people are still bumping their mixtapes. Like that's wild. Okay. Like, we're not going to hear about, you know, Justin Bieber's, uh, musical, uh, innovations that left pop music forever changed right he's not going to live in the same voice as a prince or 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 even a lauren hill who just dropped one project right so it's like there's so much uh there's so much merit to classical music. And so I saw that the the waning interest was not because of a lack of merit in the art form. I just think it's a lack of storytelling and effective storytelling by the people who create that. So I saw that as an opportunity to maybe become uh, somebody who tells classical music stories on social media because it just, there wasn't, it didn't seem like there were many people doing that at the time.
1: It sounds like that idea of like just separating yourself, making your own lane, choosing your own lane, all thinking about doing work that works for you, right? And I think that that is, that's one reason I'm so glad to even talk to you. When I think about this idea of introducing people to disruption and to disruptors, we don't have a whole lot of easy access to people who, not even from a place of like clear strategy, but from a place of intuition have either the the insight or the courage to be able to say, I, I see the lane, I see the arc that exists and, and I recognize that and I respect it. But I also recognize that there may be another way and I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I'm trying to find it.
2: Yeah. And you know, I think it's also part of being being black is like when you go through history, you get to see people like you consistently Um, taken advantage of uh, consistently, maybe even killed (laughs) or enslaved. So it's, it's, it's rough for me to even believe when there's a sector of art where there aren't a lot of black people, I don't think there are going to be people very happy about me ascending to, even if I was the best and I'd never be the best. I just didn't, I didn't see a high ceiling for me. Like what was the highest ceiling in that? Right. And and so I, I found that you know, there were African-Americans who were making real strides in the music industry and it wasn't in classical music. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, so how do people make a lot of money with music? How does that work? <laughs> you know, cause it's like, we're so used to as artists being like, I'll take my $150 check. Thank you. But, <laughs> you know, it, you can't really afford health insurance on that you can't really save up for retirement forget about starting a Roth IRA or an HSA which I was just talking to my roommate about or investing becoming a venture capitalist if you want to to see your money work for you cuz i've just really learned that musicians we don't talk about money but if you want to do your art you have to understand money and if you don't understand that 3% of your money is going to disappear every single year because of inflation even if you save it it's just gonna. If you had a thousand dollars, whoop, 300 is just gone. A third or thirty, sorry, three percent. So thirty bucks.
1: Yeah, that's that is, and that's all a part of how we're not prepared to necessarily, particularly as Black folk, prepared to um, to be self sufficient.
2: Yeah, and so I, I wanted to. I just realized when I built such a big platform and had a lot of people saying that they looked up to me and that I'm an inspiration or like that they see that they can build their life in this way, I also want to be pragmatic and like tell the truth because I don't want to be like the classical music conservatory institutions that kind of were like, you can do it if you practice hard enough. When in the back of their head, they knew that only one out of 10 of us was going to make it. I'm not trying to operate on that, that assumption that everything's okay. I want people to understand that music is one of the hardest, hardest industries that you can go into. That's outside of the competition and the difficulty of getting good at it at it but even just the business side is difficult getting people to pay to see you do your thing getting people interested in your thing when you know honestly I see it similar to like uh, comedy people everybody wants to do it everybody thinks they're good at music everybody thinks that they deserve it right but I want I've been spending my past few years trying to figure out not how to just like deserve it but to earn it and I I felt weird uh, at, at a point in about the end of 2017 where I was like <sighs> I mean I'm sitting here trying to show people how to make a career in music but my stuff's not going that well I'm barely able to pay rent like I need to focus there's something that I don't understand here and so as I'm kind of rounding that corner uh, understanding that I needed to relocate to Los Angeles, Uh, get acquainted with the scene out here and just learn. I've learned a ton. And uh, I feel like I'm more comfortable speaking about different aspects of the business now.
0: It's interesting too, to hear you talk about how you used a platform that's available to anyone to bring classical music to them. Wow. You just took a drink from a very large Water bottle and it totally caught me off guard. It's, it's like two gallons. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking a serious question, got totally sidetracked. But um,
2: it's a wild card.
0: It's a wild card. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, so it, it's interesting because you know being a classically trained musician myself and knowing the history of classical music it used to be something that was available to all people it was their form of entertainment and even the idea of a concert wasn't so stiff and reserved as what we see today but now in the classical world you do not like you people come to you if if someone wants to hear classical music they come to the concert hall and they come and hear you perform you're not necessarily going to them for the most part. And so even just that idea that I'm taking this thing that used to just live in a hall or in a practice room or a conservatory and I'm bringing it onto Instagram, it is revolutionary in a sense because it didn't live in that space.
2: It felt like power because I, I think for me, it always felt like classical music was like dangling this idea of performance in front of my head Ooh, you want to perform you want to play in carnegie hall and it's like yeah i do but you know i also want to figure out how to earn that so for me i saw that like going to other people and performing um through instagram that was the way to just like ask permission you know, while I'm getting better at this thing. If you want to listen, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. You can even, you know, send me a DM and say, yeah, that that's awfully high. I, terrible, bloody hell. You know, I got one of those comments this morning uh, about my playing. So, you know, it, it's just, you just, you part of it is like, I think, when you open yourself up to other people, that's the that's the magic.
0: And how cool is that, too, that people are reacting versus when you're sitting in a concert hall, people might be feeling nothing. It's cool that they're feeling something. Like, even if they're feeling something, like an adverse reaction, they're feeling, you know. <laughs> I think of so many just stiff performing environments where you look out and you're like, is anyone enjoying this? Is anyone feeling something? And so.
2: No, they're not bumping. They're not bumping to it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, though. It's not for everybody.
0: <laughs> but even that is disrupting showing works in progress. When have you ever been to a classical concert and an orchestra said, hey, we're working on this for the spring, but we're just going to give you a little taste of how it's going. That doesn't happen.
2: Mm-mm. No. But I, I think that <laughs> it's just a, it's, it's it's a miscalculation in understanding the audience, because it's very obvious that the audience is curious about the inner workings. Even if it's still a small audience, if people are willing to pay $17 to go see their symphony play every weekend, they're kind of curious about the players and the other things. And so I think that that interest is not being leveraged, that that, imp- that interest is not being fulfilled. And when you're not fulfilling a desire in your audience or in your market, you're leaving money on the table or you're leaving exposure or just total recognition and equity in the cultural conversation. You're leaving that on the table. And so I think that that's what, I mean, I didn't have language for it when I was, you know, 20, 22, 23, but I I definitely recognized that. And I saw that that was, it didn't need to be, didn't need to be. So, and uh, now you've got twelve-year-olds way better than me recording with their cell phones, and you know building their careers. So it's it's really crazy to see how the market has shifted so rapidly.
1: What do you see as being the next thing? Like, what do you? How do you see? Like, what's the next curve?
2: Oh, the ne- next curve is is still it's still storytelling and it's still content creation, and it's going to be through TikTok. I think TikTok is the real. TikTok is like it's like it's so and the reason why TikTok is so big and you can tell it's because Instagram's trying to copy it. Instagram/Facebook's slash play over the past decade has been to look at the upcoming platforms and poach their features. It's this it's the standard oil of uh, of the, the the social media. That's what Facebook is, it's standard oil. And they're trying to take all of the Meritous aspects of any up and coming, um, platform and to integrate it. That's why they just changed their UX the other day. Have you guys updated your Instagram?
1: I think it did it for me. I don't, I don't feel like I had a choice.
2: No. Yeah. It did it for you. Yeah. I have automatic updates too, because I'm not going to, I'm already busy. I don't need to go to the app store and then approve every update. Let me just get it updated. So they moved your, uh, it's so dirty. Oh, so we're animals and UX is all predicated upon our habits and they they manipulate uh, our behavior by even seeing where we're tapping on the screen most often and then they put icons and buttons there. So what they just recently did was they made the the center button that used to be explore page, they made it the reels page. They're trying to they're trying to become TikTok because TikTok has got them incredibly beat on average user time per day. Uh, I think average user time on Instagram, this is secondhand information. I just spoke to a consultant about a week ago. So I haven't really increased my research on this, but it's about 25 minutes per day per user on Instagram. Um, I think... uh, TikTok is over an hour and a half.
0: Wow. We see that as teachers. I mean, we teach high schoolers. And so I have I remember when the first kid came into my classroom and said, did you hear Maddie went viral on TikTok? It was the school news, you know? Right. And, and so we see, and when Snapchat first came out, I feel like we see all those waves with our students and what they're using and where they're getting content. And in some ways, as a music teacher, I've seen a lot of positives come from it. I think my students are less scared to create their own content and be creative and make music and dance, and that was stuff they would never do before. Even just
1: being vulnerable, like yeah. that's all of that speaks to like a willingness to be vulnerable publicly. I mean, for I mean, like that that doesn't say that there aren't consequences to to young to all of us feeling like we're always performing. But I do think there's something to be said about the practice of being able to take
2: a risk. Yeah. I think it's that, all of those things. That's so brilliant. And I love that you guys as educators notice that. And this is where your entrepreneurial wings with whatever residual energy you have after a day of managing kids, like you have that advantage. You know where the attention is. Where the attention is, is where the money is to be made. And so I think that uh, understanding we're also in an age of attention. We're leaving the information age because now information is infinite and abundant. It's now how do you spend your limited amount of time during the day and what type of information are you ingesting? Is the information that's going to build you or is it information that's going to distract you? Which, Which isn't bad. We all need distractions. We all need stress relief. That is real. But I think that products are going to be measured about in the future measured based upon how respectful they are to your attention. Did you learn something? Did you feel something? If it was just a dude lighting his sparks on fire like it's like that was funny but like did I that was junk food. That wasn't super food. That wasn't content super food. That wasn't information super food. And so as a content creator, I, I my current push is to create that information superfood or that content superfood that really, really, really values the user's time, especially the kids uh, and gives them something that helps them grow or helps them uh, become something more because you're right there is a dark side to social media there's a dark side to content creation and. Uh, it's weird to even think about ethic, ethically creating content but i think that's going to be something we're going to talk about in the coming years
1: i hope so i mean i think the planet certainly and our democracy needs to have a, another a redirect and like a reorg around how we're what we're the you know how, what our metrics are for what we're saying has value i mean the the planet is in a, a really such a such a precipice in terms of its state and We all know that our country in terms of our politics is so toxic. I think in order for us to survive as a species, there's going to have to be a seismic shift um, in terms of a a new directional push towards. I love the way you said, like just superfood, thinking about content as like nutritional value. Like what is the nutritional value that I'm getting from what I'm literally ingesting? Um, and, And, you know, is it producing a sense of toxicity? Is it giving me comfort? And if it is an escape, am I being mindful of how long I'm away and where I'm going?
2: Yeah. Well, because it's because it's also if we're going to get meta with it and if we're going to take the politics, if if the content that you create creates a specific worldview for you and you don't have a well-rounded amount of information from different perspectives, from different sources, from reputable, reputable sources based in fact, you can't have a conversation about reality as we know it if you don't have a baseline, if you believe that the sky is purple and we breathe laughing gas, how are we gonna talk about carbon dioxide? We don't even agree that the air has the same stuff in it. <laughs> you know, So it's like, it's this real death of uh, expertise. It's, it, it's a death of like the enlightenment in a way and, and then trusting in empirical fact. It's really interesting. Uh, to see how social media in general has influenced the way we think and perceive our reality, it's that's why I'm also I'm really on this whole attention, being mindful of your attention, being mindful of your your content intake.
1: So when people come to your Instagram handle, your YouTube channel, the podcast that you have, what do you hope? You know, when we talk about superfood and feelings, like, you know, the, the emotional value, what do you, when you're creating content, what do you hope is the thing that you're giving them that, that you know, maybe disrupts their day, their pathway of their day, their energy in a moment enough to, to hold them and to give them that value?
2: Well, I think that part of it is just being brave or being, being open to failing publicly and being held accountable publicly. Um, and that's always hard. It's like with any group of friends. If you tell them that they're gonna, that you're thinking about buying a house, they're they're the first ones to be like, "Oh, I don't know about that. Is that a good investment? Are you sure?" You know. And I think that we all are afraid of that sort of criticism when we try to ascend and become something more. There are always people chirping in your ear. Now, those are people that love you. Imagine what people who don't care about you think. Imagine what people who often wanna do the same thing as you, but are too afraid. And so their fear and their insecurity is manifested in the criticism of you or the criticism of what you're trying to become. That that takes a lot of self-work to be able to work through. And it only gets worse as you get older when, uh, you, you start going on the downward cusp of like physical vitality and like, <laughs> years you have before you want to start retiring. So I just feel like it was funny this morning. I was like, you know, for most of my life, it was like, man, I'm too young. 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 And then all of a sudden, like after 26, I'm too old. 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 You know, it's funny how we never have like this moment where we feel comfortable in executing. So.
1: I think 40 is it. So just hold on. Wait till you get to be 40. And then I think maybe you'll settle into like the, oh, I'm good. I'm Gucci. I can, I can go either way.
2: I, I'm, that's why I'm trying to be exercising. Cause like I wake up and I'm already sore. <laughs> I'm waking up sore. And I'm like this. Oh, uh-uh, we can't have this. For, is this it? <laughs> Is this the beginning of the end? Of the end. So I'm like stretching. I'm like trying to just make sure I get the good systems in place. So I can keep keep going for a while, you know?
0: Yeah, I love that. And plus you're doing something that is physically demanding. I mean, I see that with my students and it's not, it uses your body in a way that's unbalanced. And so it's something you have to think about.
2: You don't talk about it. <laughs> Other thing we don't talk about our health or money or the things that are going to keep us going, you know, is so crazy. Like I, I wish I had before I went to Juilliard learned that my your lats are the most important muscle in your bow, in your bow usage. If you don't know how to independently move your lats and control your lats, you're not going to be able to control your bow speed accurately. You're not going to be comfortable in your bow distribution. The contraction all starts from there. And I only just learned that from doing my gymnastic ring exercises and noticing the soreness and like, oh, this is the activation of this particular muscle. So I, I think there's a lot, there are a lot of like gaps that we can, fill in as a community of educators, as a community of disruptors for the next generation. Uh, And I I see TikTok as like the platform for that. So
0: I want to know, you know, you mentioned a negative comment that you got from somebody. What are some of the comments that have stuck with you in a positive way that have made you like, yeah, I got to keep doing this. I got to keep putting myself out there and doing the self-work and pushing through
2: this is why journaling is super important and that i don't utilize it very well yet it's a new tool that i'm adding to my workflow but i've recognized that i i hardly remember the the nice comments i really don't uh absorb them as deeply as as i wish i could and i know it's because of my primitive brain uh, we as humans have a bias towards paying attention to negative feedback, negativity, negative things, things that go wrong. Because back in the day, that thing that could go wrong could be your death. Right, but we we're not really in that same environment. But our hardware is the same, so I'm battling the same thing that many people are battling. You know, those negative comments really having more weight than the positive ones, and I found that writing down the positive comments has been very helpful. One of them recently was that uh, it was a violist who um, had put the instrument down for a while, but then came across my content and uh, was inspired during quarantine to pick it back up again and learn vibrato and, and uh, just me going to a random Zoom call introduced them to me and they really enjoyed the way that I, that I uh, taught vibrato in the Zoom call. And so I sent them to my channel and they've been going through some of the videos. And uh, so I, I, get, I get messages like that, that my content really did help them learn a skill. And to me, that's the greatest thing ever. You guys get it. Your teachers, you know, you know that feeling, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. All um, we know all the feelings. I mean, teaching is is such a, a a performative art. You know, like it's the it's the costuming. It's the. It's the performing of the monologue over and over again as though you've never done it before. You know, it's the opening number, it's the hoping that you get the applause, that the joke, you know, like that the audience is engaged and that they give you the energy back based on the nature of your performance, that they stay engaged with you um, until, you know, the curtain is closed and that you're able to like, you know, an- another audience walks in and you go through the same motions. And if you're good, they actually think you're doing it with the, with the enthusiasm that you've never, you've never shown before.
2: And that's just the audience-facing side. the The, the troop-facing side is: you're a leader, you're a motivator, you're a manager, you're 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 a teacher, yes. But like, there's so many more aspects of what you do, and I think that uh, that's a real that's the same thing as a social media content creator, except you don't get. You're usually so removed from the tiny successes the tiny wins that you see in people's eyes because it's on the other side of a computer screen and you'll never experience that. But what's wild is like when you do it for a while and then you just put out something simple from your day, it's like you get dozens of of, of kind fairies that pop up and say, oh, that's so funny. Or they'll, they'll give you information. Like if you don't understand something and you say, what is this? You'll get just people saying, Oh, that's that you should look into this. Here's an article. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you can create uh, through the internet. And so uh, I really do my best to encourage people to tell them that it's not too late to start. I don't even think the whole gold rush of content creation has started yet. Uh, I think it's just beginning.
1: That is incredibly encouraging. For people who have not, you know, who are still trying to figure out, you know, is that how they're going to decide to monetize their skill set, right? Because that's ultimately what it has the potential to do. Which is what I think makes it so um, such a, a it could be potentially such a force of liberation in terms of like our ability to be to be better entrepreneurs, to be different kinds of entrepreneurs, and to really be self directed in terms of how we generate money, how we take care of ourselves and our and our families.
2: And the system is set up. To entrepreneurs advantages, uh, especially investors. And I think that when you understand the way the systems and the governments incentivize your behavior, it, it could be in your best interest. And oftentimes it's not being an employee. That's not really the way to Release yourself. It's it's a way to gain predictable capital and then exhibit discipline in saving so that you can begin your financial freedom. But it's not the the path.
1: So what's your dream? What's your dream life professionally? What are you doing if you if you were living your day the way you wanted? Besides being completely liberated, right? Where it's like the goal is not work, right? Or the goal is to create when you want to create in, in alignment with what feels good. Um, what do you see as being like? How the how is that going to take shape for you?
2: Well, I'm really honing in and trying to cultivate things that really matter in life, which is the people that you spend time with, uh, your community, family. So I'm really trying to build a life to where I can be present in my family. uh, Because the nature of what I've been trying to build is that it's a part-time job or it's flexible. Like, I just need to make content and put it on the internet you know i could do that when everybody's asleep i could do that uh you know when the kids are at school or whatever i i've I've been trying to build a life so that i could be a really active family man but i also want to find ways to enrich my circle enrich my community so creating maybe businesses that are are or funding businesses that really create uh economic wealth in a community And also incentivize healthy behavior. Um, I'm really thinking of things like uh, community gardens and thinking about urban agriculture.
1: Sounds like you're interested in something like Grand Boulevard. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So Kimberly, her her company, um, Kimberly's an entrepreneur, is a sustainable clothing company. And they do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is reclaimed. Everything is um sustainably sourced and she's basically changing the world one garment at a time one garment at a
1: time (laughs) thinking about Um, like intersectional development which is what you're talking about you know this idea of disrupting at these new intersections where we're we're building you know new ecosystems
2: green technology and so we as musicians we create money is just value right so if you go out and you create value for your community that's money that you can then utilize to then create more value for communities through investing and so I'm really trying to figure out how do I level up my musical ability and then use that capital to take care of my family and my communities in a way that also frees me economically from um, having to having to work and do things for people that don't add value to my life. That's real. Uh, but I don't know how to do that. I'm start, I started a podcast just like you. I'm still out here in the trenches trying to build and create infrastructures to uh, provide value to as many people as possible.
1: Well, that 120,000 followers you have uh, is a very impressive start to that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty so, good start.
2: <laughs> I'm figuring out the rest of the, the, the next steps, you know?
0: Yeah, of course. It also sounds like you're living out your family's legacy, like the story that you told about your family in the beginning. And it's inspiring to see how deep-rooted those values can be. As a mother, it's really reminding me that um, the passing down of positive values that are about community can take shape in different forms and in different expressions, but the values will continue to live on in our dinner in our offspring which yeah. is encouraging.
1: You know, one thing we like to end our each, every episode with and this one is no different is this is a segment called what do we tell the kids about about disruption and about thinking about, you know, living in this in this in this way that aspires to to just shake shit up. So my yes. question for you, right? So my question for you um that we ask of all our guests is what do we tell the kids about disruption and about being a disruptor based on everything you've learned and that you're learning? Mm. Uh,
2: The one thing that I will tell the kids, and I always do, is that when you're doing something new, everybody, a lot of people are gonna hate it. Like like, the, the act of doing something new is an act of rebellion and people don't like to see change. People generally just love to be comfortable. And so when you make them uncomfortable, because change doesn't happen when you're comfortable. When people are uncomfortable, they get angry and fearful. So you have to realize that if you're going to create disruption, you're gonna make people angry and fearful. And you just have to realize that that is an inevitability and it doesn't matter how small or how large. Uh, But part of of being a disruptor um, is fighting through that and seeing the vision and understanding what you're trying to do. And the way to do that is to read stories of people who've done it. I mean, that's why books are so overpowered in in this life. Like if you read books, you literally get to absorb somebody's life experience. Um, I'm really interested my, my roommate who's, Phenomenal. His name is Winton Grant, and I actually had him on my podcast, Faking Notes Podcast, on our on one of our most recent episodes. He is a real estate investor and professional freelance violinist out here in Los Angeles. He's played. Uh, he's Grammy nominated as well. He doesn't like to say that, but I, I tell people that, and uh, he's just really shown me uh, how I how you can be way more efficient with uh, what you do in a day and how we as artists can really uh, have an impact. And it's not through supplicating to rich people. It's, it's being uh, people with equity and people with ownership uh, and power to make decisions to really affect uh, our communities positively.
1: Well, if people awesome. want to find you, I guess they should check out your YouTube channel and yes. you like, if you can tell us where can we find where can people find you where can our people who are listening to to this amazing podcast that is ours find you?
2: Well, you can find me at my podcast, uh, Faking Notes Podcast, on Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me at That Kid on Twitter. I'm tweeting more, uh, especially more businessy ideas and and and. Uh, more of my ongoings and releases on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube all everywhere you can find me uh that viola kid except TikTok it was stolen
1: oh no it was
2: stolen and it is oh snap it's tvk on TikTok
1: oh that's cute that works that works <laughs>
0: School for Disruptors is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, produced and edited by us with music from Laura O'Shea. You can catch up with O'Shea on Instagram at it's pronounced O'Shea, and you can also catch us there at School for Disruptors, or send us an email, schoolfordisruptors at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.